Let's turn to the Word of God together, shall we? I'd like you to open to the Old Testament, and I would like you to go to the book of Proverbs, chapter 1. And I want to kind of use a metaphor throughout the sermon this morning, a metaphor of a king's palace. And I'd like to extend to all of you the invitation that Solomon makes in the beginning of the book of Proverbs that you might know wisdom. Lady Wisdom actually is shouting out to you, inviting you every day to wisdom. In chapter 1, verse 20, listen, wisdom shouts in the street. She lifts her voice in the square. And she especially invites a subgroup of people she calls the naive, those who are yet inexperienced in the ways of of the world and the ways of life. Look at 21. At the head of the noisy streets, she cries out. At the entrance of the gates in the city, she utters her sayings, How long, O naive ones, will you love being simple-minded? And scoffers delight themselves in scoffing. That word there, naive, is a word that we have a bit of a difficulty with because it really doesn't translate all that well. Naivete is kind of like somebody who ought to know better, but they don't. But maybe the better word would be gullible. At least that's how one major commentary that I've benefited by recently translates this particular word, and I think that's the best word to be used. This is somebody in life who is gullible. And the book of Proverbs is especially written for teens and 20-somethings, especially boys and young men. You girls are included as well, but ancient Israel, to which this book was originally written, featured male leadership because in the community, whether in ancient Israel or even in modern America, as the male goes, so goes the female. And so when the female marries the guy, they tend to go in the direction of the guy. And his particular attitudes and his particular commitments are what fuel the typical commitments of that new family. So even though it's written to young men, teens and 20-somethings, yet it applies equally to both males and females. This, by the way, is also the one book of the Bible that specifically describes what is critically important for ministry to young persons, whether you want to call that youth ministry, specifically high schoolers, or those who are in their 20s who aren't yet set in their course of life. This one book is specifically aimed at them, but yet with that I want to commend it to you this morning, even if you're older than the book. I think that it stretches itself very easily beyond those strictures to all of us whether male or female, no matter what age we are, to be taught in the ways of wisdom. And so I commend to all of you this morning, then, this wonderful book, and to accept Solomon's inviting persona through this book to enter into Solomon's palace of wisdom. And immediately, I want you to be invited and to walk up to the entryway. Notice verse 1, chapter 1. The Proverbs of Solomon, the son of David, king of Israel. You are notified in this opening verse that what you have before you is a collection 
of Proverbs. Proverbs. Every culture has its own Proverbs. We who have been called to follow God have our own collection of Proverbs. We have them in our own native culture. A stitch in time saves nine. And there are 10,000 other little proverbial sayings. But there is a collection of Proverbs that are given specifically to those who are called to be the children of God by which we can learn wisdom. And this really then is the entryway verse by which we can understand that which is the palace entryway. The book of Proverbs, wise sayings, riddles, so constructed, so written to make you wise, especially wise about life wise about people, wise about walking in the fear of the Lord. The Proverbs are specifically written in such a manner as to change the way that you think about life, to change the way you like to make decisions. Why? Well, because according to Proverbs twenty-two fifteen, foolishness is bound up in the heart of a child. None of us has to be taught foolishness. It's in us from birth. And we grow up in it. Our own heart feeds us with lots of foolishness. And the reality is, is that we need to be made wise. You need to be taught wisdom through the book of Proverbs, lest you live your life, the life of a fool, and you die a fool's death, and you reap a fool's eternity. And so, as verse 1 tells you, you have the Proverbs, not of anyone, but of Solomon, the great king of Israel. According to a passage in the book of 1 Kings, listen to this. Solomon spoke 3,000 Proverbs. I mean, I can hardly remember three or four. And his songs were 1,005. He spoke of trees from the cedar that is in Lebanon, even to the hyssop that grows on the wall. He spoke also of animals, birds, and creeping things, and fish. Men came from all peoples to hear the wisdom of Solomon from all the kings of the earth who had heard of his wisdom. Therefore, in the book of Proverbs, it is as if you are being invited to enter into the one place where only the invited could go into the king's presence, and once there to actually hear the king speak and give wisdom. Here, in this wonderful book of Proverbs, Solomon makes a final collection and crafts these Proverbs when he is old. This is part of his repentance as an old man, is to give out these wonderful Proverbs. It also says at the end of verse 1 that he is the king of Israel. And specifically, Solomon was the second to last king of Israel. There's one last king of Israel coming. See, after Solomon came, his son Rehoboam took over as king. But you know what? Before many years went by, Rehoboam, through his foolishness, split the nation. And therefore, there really was never any king of Israel, but there was kings of Judah and then kings of the northern Israel. And so Solomon was the last king of Israel, but there's one more king coming, Jesus Christ. And when he returns the second time, he will regenerate all the living Jews 
Israel will be united, and then he will be king over all the earth at that time, and specifically king over Israel. Okay, let's transition then. Come in, come in, says Solomon to you. Come in. And so you enter then in through the entryway, in through the massive double doors, into a great hallway that connects all the other rooms of the castle, of the palace. And you look around, and you're made a little bit dizzy. The place is so huge. It's so cavernous. You feel like Rick Moranis in Honey, I Shrunk the Kids. You're a little disoriented as, you, as your eyes begin to adjust. <coughs> Solomon turns to you and asks you a question. Would you like to live here? If you do, and this is what you will learn, that the Proverbs of Solomon were collected, look at verse 2, to know wisdom and instruction to discern the sayings of understanding. Here you are in the great hallway. This is the one hallway that connects every other room that's in the great palace, and every other verse in the book of Proverbs is connected back to verse 2. To know, these, were, these Proverbs were collected for you to know wisdom and instruction to discern the sayings of understanding. And right away in verse 2, you're given the two purposes of the book. First, to know the substance of wisdom. Simply, wisdom. To get you to know what wisdom is. And then number two, do you see the word instruction there? It's to understand how wisdom is passed on from one person to another. How is it done? Through instruction. Therefore, the goal of the book of Proverbs, the invitation that is laid out before you this morning, the goal of the book is to make you wise. And instruction is the means. In other words, in contrast to the culture that we live in, you don't become wise by being self-referential, by referring to yourself and thinking of yourself and figuring things out for yourself. Actually, you have to be taught to know wisdom and instruction. After all, foolishness is bound up in our hearts, and right away, Solomon is telling us that we will never, ever figure out wisdom on our own. Going a little deeper here, the word instruction here is built on the word chastise. Specifically, though, chastise for improvement. This particular word is never used of God's chastisement of the nations, which is punitive. This isn't punitive. Solomon's aim here is your good. It's reformatory. It's to change you. His aim is your blessing, not your cursing. And over and over again, he'll continue to encourage you throughout the book of Proverbs. And in chapter 8, he writes, Take my instruction and not silver, and knowledge rather than choicest gold. For wisdom is better than jewels, and all desirable things cannot compare with her. Over and over again, encouraging you now as you've stepped into the great hallway of this massive Solomonic palace. You're encouraged to hear wisdom and to learn wisdom. 
Your eyes are adjusting now to the light, and you'd like to stay here. But strangely, Solomon grabs a hold of your arm and jerks you off balance, pulls you in his direction, and strangely directs you into the basement of his great palace. You're knocked off guard by this. But he drags you down these stone steps, brings you down into the basement, and there he directs your eyes to verse 7. Would you join me there, please? And there in the basement that undergirds all of the palace is this reality. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. Ah, This verse explains why it is that Solomon collected these Proverbs together. This is the foundation. This is the basement of the palace of Proverbs. This supports everything else. If you get this verse, you'll get the book of Proverbs. Essentially, we could break it down this way. There are two types of people in the world. Those who like to divide everybody into two groups and those who don't. No. Those who are the fear of the Lord people and those who are the fools. There's just two types of people in the world according to the taxonomy of Proverbs. It's pretty simple. Those who walk in the fear of the Lord and those who are fools. That's basically what it is. To be a person then of wisdom, you must make a complete ethical commitment to the fear of the Lord at the exclusion of all foolishness. Verse 7 is the epistemological basement of the entire book. Verse 7 is the alphabet that unlocks the entire book of Proverbs. It is the spiritual grammar of the book. Now, to make this a little bit clearer to you, after I'm using all these big words, and you will be tested at Thanksgiving dinner this afternoon on these, to make this a little easier on you, let's deal with the word fool. Fool. Do you see it there in the second part of verse 7? Fools despise wisdom and instruction. So who is the fool? How is he known? He's known this by, how, by what he despises. What does he despise? Well, two things in verse 7. Wisdom and instruction. you remember those words from verse 2? This makes him different than the naive youth that we saw back in verse 22. The naive has not yet turned himself. The gullible one has not yet turned himself against the Lord. The gullible one is the one who's growing up. He's in his teens. She's in his 20s, in her 20s. And she's like, yeah, I've heard the way of the Lord, but I, I'm not so sure that's really the right way to live for me. I'd like to know what others say out there. I'd like to know from schooling what else there is out there because I want to make a decision that's best for me. That's the gullible. That's the naive one. The fool is the one who has heard what's out there and said, whatever the fear of the Lord is, I don't want that at all. The wise person is the one who makes a full, ethical, moral commitment to the way of the Lord no matter what, no matter how many the voices are out there in the world, no matter how powerfully they resonate, the person who has the fear of the Lord is the person who rejects all of that and makes a full, complete, ethical, moral commitment to the ways of God found in Scripture. 
Okay, so with a young child, at least you can remove some foolishness from them. Are you familiar again with Proverbs 22, 15? Foolishness is bound up in the heart of a child, but what? The rod will drive it far from him. Okay? That's true of the youth. That's true of the young child. But listen to Proverbs 27, 22. Because the fool, no matter what is done to him or her, a fool he or she remains. Listen to this verse. Though you pound a fool in a mortar with a pestle along with crushed grain, yet his foolishness will not depart from him. In other words, this is a person who is so opposed to the fear of the Lord, no one can tell him anything. He's irreformable, humanly speaking. This is an individual who is set in their ways, then, in verse 7. This is why they despise wisdom and instruction. They literally have an inward aggravation against sound wisdom and against being instructed. This is why in the Sermon on the Mount, do you remember Jesus said this, whoever says to his brother, you fool, shall be guilty enough to go into the fiery hell. Do you remember that? Because Jesus took the Solomonic understanding of a fool, not our modern culture's understanding of a fool, but God's definition of a fool, and applied it. So in other words, if you call someone a fool, you are saying this is a person who is irreformable, humanly speaking. They despise wisdom and understanding. And for you to call you with your frustration with your brother or sister in the Lord or who professes the Lord, to call them a fool is to call them somebody who is completely opposed to God. And that's why Jesus makes such a severe designation and judgment on that. By the way, that tells us the truth that only Jesus Christ can rescue a fool out of his folly, and many he has done. Earlier, Mike read from Psalm 105 this morning. He opened our service that way. Psalm 105 is a psalm about God rescuing fools out of their folly. And it's a series of vignettes. You should really read it. It's fun. If you love the stories of redemption, this is our God. God is a redeeming God. And he takes all these different people and all these different groups and he redeems them out of their foolishness. And you'll even see it in there. You'll see the word fool and all that. So 105, brilliant psalm. Great preach, Joey, and really an enjoyable, enjoyable psalm to read through just to encourage your heart the way the Lord works. So, by the way, I need to make this point. Only Jesus Christ can redeem a fool. Only Jesus Christ can take a person as a fool and give them a new heart. If you try to redeem a fool in your life, you will drive yourself batty, whether he's your husband whether she's your daughter, whether it's your wife, a coworker, a boss, an employee. If you relate to a fool, and most of us do at some place in life, if not multiple places in life, it could be in your home, it could be at work, it could be in other venues, it could even be in church, because after all, people come to church for all variety of reasons. Don't try to reform that person. You'll only drive yourself crazy. They're, humanly speaking, 
they're irreformable. That's why Solomon says, even if you could crush them in a pestle along with the crushed grain, which means you're just crushing it to mush, right? And you could just put them through earthly trials, all kinds of earthly trials, <clears throat> you'd have no success whatsoever. That's kind of the idea. You know how we tend to think, oh, if somebody's going through, we're praying for someone, and they're going through hard trials, we presume that, oh, God must be doing something in their heart. Not necessarily true. Not necessarily true. We can't read the providence of God. All right. So this is the big deal. Therefore, don't read the book of Proverbs as if it was written to try to get fools to change from foolish people to wise people. Instead, it calls everyone else to this, in verse 7, the fear of the Lord, a full commitment to God and His ways. A full commitment to God and His ways. And to do that, Proverbs contrasts two competing types of lives you can live. There's wisdom and there's folly. There's the issue of what benefits you versus what benefits your community. There's the way of life and the way of death. And the young person must choose between them knowing that there is no third way. At no point in the book of Proverbs is the young person encouraged to say, you go figure it out. It's your life. You go figure it out. Not at all. It's more like this is life and death. You need to make a full ethical commitment to the ways of the Lord. If you do, you will be richly blessed in this way and in this way and in this way, this way, this way, this way. But if you choose the way of your heart, you choose the way of the fool, here's all the ways you will suffer through life. This and this and this and this and this. There is no third way in the book of Proverbs. I like what J. Vernon McGee wrote. Listen to this. One ship sails east and another west by the selfsame winds that blow. Tis the set of the sails and not the gales that tells them the way to go. Like the winds of the sea are the waves of time. As we voyage along through life, Tis the set of the soul that determines the goal and not the calm or the strife. So, east or west, there's only two ways. In Proverbs, people are divided into two categories. With young people already on their way to becoming fools, those who are determined to have their own way in life and refuse to embrace the way of the Lord, they are still naive. They are still gullible. And perhaps you in this room this morning are in that place. Perhaps you're not in your 20s. Perhaps you're not in your teens. But you're at a place where you're ready to listen to the way of the Lord. That's great. That's great. Well, Solomon has more plans for you in his palace than... He wants you to invite his palace a little further in this opening section. So you nod your head yes as he asks you if you want to move on. And Solomon leads you up out of the basement, leads you on to the back veranda, a large patio. And there on the patio, you overlook the community of people. And there it is. You learn now why you need the book of Proverbs. Because it is on the veranda as you overlook the community that you learn that the Proverbs of Solomon were collected. Go to verse 3. They were collected so that you would receive instruction in wise behavior, righteousness, justice, and equity. 
Solomon invites you on the large veranda to look out at the people. You do, but you look out on them as a naive teenager or a 20-something, and your heart sinks. And you immediately don't want to look at them. Outside there, as you look at the community of reality, our life's harshest life's lessons being lived out before your eyes. There you look and you're presented with innumerable young widows with nothing to feed their orphaned children. These are mothers who are all alone in life. Their children are crying. They're dressed in rags, clinging to their legs, many with severe medical conditions, distended stomachs. And like the second ghost in Dickens' Christmas Carol, Solomon points a bony finger at you as if to say, what will you do about them? You begin to get frustrated. You feel your cheeks flush. You're upset with him. Who am I? I'm just a kid. (coughs) I don't know life. I don't have the power to fix this. Why are you looking at me? Solomon points his finger in another direction. You look in that way. There on the street is an awful scene. Five young men are robbing an elderly couple, clubbing them. Down they go, heads bleeding. They're clubbing them to death. They are laughing. And they're taking all their money. And again, Solomon says to you, what will you do about this? You feel your youthfulness and your inability keenly now. Your inexperience, anger begins to rise within you. Your face gets even more hot. Apparently, Solomon expects you, you, still so young, still so inexperienced in the things of the world to somehow fix these problems. These aren't things you even have a clue about how to fix. Besides, they're not even your fault, you tell yourself quickly. Now, perhaps, on the veranda, you're ready to listen to verse 3. They were collected so you would receive instruction in wise behavior, righteousness, justice, and equity. The reason you need wisdom is so that you can love and benefit your community, your family, your workplace, your church. By wise behavior, he mentions there, to learn how to care for your fellow man and not to make yourself the be-all and end-all of why you live. And then he mentions righteousness in verse 3 learning how to do what is right for all. He mentions justice next, the ability to render judgments that alleviate suffering. And lastly, equity, fairness, able to render judgments that are able to see through human folly and to right the wrongs perpetrated on the suffering by the powerful. Question Solomon wants to know of you is this. Will you receive instruction in wise behavior? 
As verse 3 says, look there, to receive. The word receive there is from the word to reach out your hand and grab a hold of. So personal attachment to wisdom, to the fear of the Lord. Just as our adolescents use their hands to grab PS3 controllers and Xbox controllers in their hands in order to receive instruction from Assassin's Creed and Grand Theft Auto and other video games, games through which they can die a thousand times a pleasurable death during which they just quickly get regenerated and can go back and do all other kinds of criminal things again, destroying the communities upon which they live, being instructed in the ways of folly, The games are selfish that our young people are taught. The goals are self-centered. Therefore, the discipline that games give you is pleasurable. It's fun. But the instruction of wisdom is not pleasurable at first. It promises no immediate pleasure at all. But the promise of the result is that it will benefit you individually and your community. For the rest of your life, your workplace, your church, your home will be benefited immeasurably if you will reach out your hand and instead of grabbing that which brings you selfish pleasure, bring, grab a hold of that which is the way of the Lord in all things. Well, you can see Solomon is presenting you then as a naive young person, as a gullible young person, the escape route from selfishness and laziness. Oh, you're standing on the veranda. Your head is spinning now with everything that's being presented before you. Solomon grabs your elbow again, yanks you off the veranda, takes you in, back into the, through the great hall, to the other side, to the library. To the library. Maybe it's in the library that you will learn that the Proverbs of Solomon were collected in order to, join me in verse 4, to give prudence to the naive, to the youth knowledge and discretion. Here in verse 4, Solomon speaks to the parent, to the teacher, to the youth pastor, and says, you, parent, teacher, youth pastor, are responsible to give prudence to the naive, who he also calls in that verse the youth. Naivete, as I said earlier, is synonymous with gullibility. Let me show you how that works out. You can kind of trace this. As you probably know, one of the marks of being a young man is the intense desire to be out from under authority. It grows more grievous as you get into teen years. It becomes kind of for many of us, a fever pitch when we get to be about 20, 22 sometimes. The idea that I know how to live my life. I don't need someone over me. I'm ready to get out. I heard the testimony of a Christian on, on, I think it was like a YouTube video the other day. It was a 17-year-old boy, and he was telling his father, I am sick and tired of listening to you or anybody. I am leaving you, and I'm going to the Marines. (laughs) Uh, no, no, this is going to be the library. This is going to be the place where those who teach you are going to be taught something. And when my, when my boys, I have two boys, when they, when they were in their 
later teens, they began to resist asking me questions about life because I don't know what it was, but they were like me. They kind of believed that if they asked me a question, then they already knew what I was going to answer. And it's always easier, isn't it, to ask forgiveness than permission anyways? But they refused. And then when we would have the talk later, uh, I would say, well, why didn't you just ask me? They said, because I already know what you're going to say. And every time I'd say, I wouldn't have said that at all. They thought they knew me. See, but that's kind of the heart of the young men. It's just typical for young men to despise authority and accountability. They yearn for freedom. Let your eyes uh, do this. Uh, Look at verse 8. Watch how Solomon immediately jumps in here. Hear, my son, your father's instruction. Do you see the hierarchy there? Remember, this is a young man who does not prefer to listen to a father. He's a typical young man, built like just the rest of us. And he also there, by the way, ladies, he also mentions the mother's teaching there in verse 8, just so you realize that this is not sheer patriarchy, but it's really in the home, and the mother has authority over the son as well. But you see, since young men despise authority, watch how Solomon in wisdom tries to help his son to recognize the foolishness in his own heart. Verse 10, My son, if sinners sinners entice you, don't go, don't consent. Now watch this. If they say, come with us, is there hierarchy in there? No. This is where all equal. If they say, come with us, let us together lie in wait for blood. (coughs) Let us together ambush the innocent without cause. Let us Verse 12, together, swallow them alive like Sheol. Verse 13, we will find all kinds of precious. We will fill our houses with spoil. Verse 14, throw in your lot with us. We shall all have one purse. And the heart of the young man, that resonates instantly with him, his desire to be free from hierarchy. So the father right away is trying to get at his heart don't go that way. Don't go that way. Your peers are only going to promise you easy money. Ladies are going to come at you and they're going to promise you easy sex. And life is going to present itself to you without the cost of having to humble yourself before other people, those in hierarchy. And and it's going to be all offered to you in the wisdom of the world and it's going to appeal to your heart. And nothing other than a full ethical commitment to the way of the Lord will rescue you from being like the millions of lemmings who have crashed over the cliffs of morality and sin and foolishness who have gone before you. No, this is radically different. Look at chapter 3. He says it again. My son, verse 1, don't forget my teaching. Let your heart keep my commandments for length of days and years of life and peace they will add to you. Look at the promises he lavishes upon this young man. Verse 3, don't let kindness and truth leave you. Bind them around your neck. Write them on the tablet of your heart so you will find favor and good repute in the sight of God and man. This is like Jesus Christ who increased in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and man. And then the refrigerator magnet verse, Proverbs 3, 5. You guys have that too? Trust in the Lord with all your heart. And do not lean on your understanding. In all your ways acknowledge Him, and He will make your path straight. 
Verse 7, do not be wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and turn away from evil. And then promise after promise after promise after promise. And then he'll do some more teaching, and then the book of Proverbs will have another section of promises. And then he'll do some more teaching, and then the book of Proverbs will have some more promises. And then he'll do some more teaching, and young men, young ladies, then the book of Proverbs will have more promises, more promises, more promises for the kind of life that you can enjoy if you'll fear the Lord. Oh, how good Solomon is. What a good dad. As an older man, he must have been. Solomon is inviting you. He's attracting you. He's drawing you into the palace of wisdom. And now if you'll just enter the next room with him, and so he pulls you into, across the great hall, takes you into a, privately into a lovely room with large, plushy chairs, warm tapestries up against the walls, a crackling fire is in a massive stone fireplace, and he invites you to rest your tired body and to sit across from you so now you can have some words of private conversation. He wants to reason with you, O naive young one, for a little bit. We'll call this room the private listening room. And he bends over to you and tells you that the reason for the book of Proverbs is in verse 5. A wise man will hear an increase in learning, and a man of understanding will acquire wise counsel. In other words, O young person, Oh, the potential of what your life could be. No longer naive and gullible. You could be a wise man who hears and increases in learning. A man of understanding acquires wise counsel. Every young person wants to be wise. Every young person wants to be wise. Or at least they want to be called wise. I don't know, I used to be called a wise guy a lot. I had a quick tongue. A lot of good that did me. This is Solomon appealing to you, holding out the potential to you that you can be wise. Because the wise increases in learning and acquires wise counsel. The word acquire there is the word for acquiring money. You know the stuff you can never have enough of? Well, that's actually true of wisdom. You can never have enough of wisdom. You want to acquire it as much as possible. So therefore, in order for you to sit comfortably in the chair in the private listening room with Solomon across from you, you have to be the kind of person who recognizes that you don't know wisdom and that you know that you don't know wisdom. Of course, the fool could never admit that. The fool, in his heart, believes that he knows wisdom, and he has no need for instruction. He has no need for the room. So as you sink into the beautiful, plushy, cushy chair, and the smoke is filling the room, and you're just kind of being lulled into the conversation with Solomon, I'd like to be a wise man. You begin to drift slowly off into your thoughts. Slowly your body is getting more and more relaxed. The chair is so plushy. The fire is intoxicating. And Solomon grabs you, and he pulls you out of the chair. He pulls you once again across the great hall, and he takes you into a room that he calls the study room because you're going to have to spend a lot of time here if you want to be wise and escape the foolish tragedies of life. And maybe if you'll spend time in the study room, you will learn that the Proverbs of Solomon were collected, verse 6, 
to understand so that you would understand a proverb and a figure, the words of the wise and their riddles. To understand riddles and proverbs and figures requires time and effort. Understanding what words mean in their context. They don't come on the cheap. It requires study. It requires thinking. It requires bouncing, they say, off of what you already know and the experiences of life, albeit limited they may be, that you've had. The word proverb, a mashal, it's a, it's a riddle. It's a short parable. Every one of them begs to be unwound, untethered, pulled apart into its various pieces. And then interpreted and then applied. Solomon in the book of Proverbs has given you 3,000 almost Proverbs to be unwound, untethered, applied in life. It's like you just received Christmas in the Bible. Well, that's the invitation. He leaves you in the study room And there you are now. What shall you do? Shall you commit yourself wholeheartedly to the way of the Lord, the fear of the Lord, the reverence of God Almighty that not only pertains to fearing Him and His character, but also pertains to the way of the Lord and embracing it? Shall He be your God, the God of Israel, the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, Or yourself is your choice. I don't care who you are this morning. You can make a U-turn right now. Call upon the name of the Lord and you will be saved. But it will require also a complete moral, ethical commitment to the way of the Lord. And you will be so blessed. And your family will be so blessed. Joy, peace, comfort shall be yours in abundance the rest of these days. And when they gather your feet and they are lifted and they are placed at the end of your bed and they lay their fingers down over your eyes to close them for one final time, you shall enter into the eternal hall of wisdom where only the wise go, those made wise in Jesus Christ, where there is eternal life and every blessing that can ever be lavished out not merely for a season, but forever. In the presence of God and of all the other saints and the holy angels. Now maybe you're feeling at this time, that's all wonderful and good, but I'm older. I missed it. I was a naive youth, but that was years ago. I've lived a life of foolishness then I merely tell you, oh dear believer, your time is now spent in making good on the Lord's grace in your life and calling you to himself to be wise, to learn wisdom, to live it out with a vengeance upon your past. Others of you are feeling ashamed because you have children whom you did what you could to raise them in the knowledge and the admonition of the Lord. And they have not followed, they have not followed 
and you feel guilty and you feel ashamed and you feel a burden for them that is irrepressible. I tell you that there is a responsibility of the individual soul before God that you cannot touch, even with your children, not with your spouse. You could live as perfectly as Jesus himself lived and still have your own family treat you like a fool. I beg you not to take upon yourself a foolishness and a guilt that belongs not to you, but to entrust God who saves fools like he saved this fool a lot of years ago. And I encourage all of you to embrace wholeheartedly the way of the Lord. Shall we pray? Our most gracious Heavenly Father, when the end of days comes and we find ourselves the participants in the house of the Lord forever, then we shall say Jesus does all things well. Today, while we walk by faith in your excellence and in your sacred promises, we entrust ourselves to your way of holy wisdom. Grant to each and every dear believer in this room understanding. Grant to every person in this room who yearns to be a Christian grace to entrust themselves entirely to a merciful God and grant them repentance and faith in the gospel. Father, thank you for the privilege it's been for me to be a part of this church and to have such freedom to preach. I only ask that your Holy Spirit do all that is well-pleasing in his own sight according to the tremendous mercies of the sacrifice of his glorious Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Well, Lord Jesus Christ, but not a Savior. Our Savior, our glorious Savior. And I ask for mercy in 